Welcome back to another episode of Arena on Air. This week, we are talking about women in the arts, women in theater, women in leadership. We sit down with two staff members of Arena Stage, and then we brought in a couple new friends from Rep Stage to talk about the Women in Theater Conference in August. We hope you enjoy. I'm Natalie Bowe. I'm the technical director at Arena Save. And I'm Marissa LaRose. I'm the senior director of operations here at Arena. Day-to-day activity now is that I will look after all contract negotiations for all individual artists that are coming through. So every actor, every designer, every director, every consultant, every child, um, whatever that we're going to have as a part of the main stage productions is something that I look after. And then the the building itself, so I'll look after all facilities-related things, anything that um, needs to make the building function needs to make the theater function, but doesn't necessarily have much to do with the theater itself or with the productions themselves. So um, anything from helping the parking garage to run a little bit smoother to fixing a burnt out light to figuring out how to fix handrails in the building or cleaning the windows or whatever the case might be. And then working very closely with production management still. So the production manager is really making it all flow. (laughs) As a technical director, um, it depends on the facility that you're in. So some technical directors for theaters do kind of everything. They cover lights and sound and a myriad of different things, building the things or creating a rehearsal space. Um, it can it can encompass a lot of things, really trash removal to everything. And I have done those jobs where I am literally shoveling out the trash, literally calling the people to make sure that it's getting taken away if it's not, um, There's or fixing the things in the building mm-hmm. myself because there isn't a facilities. Mm-hmm. So that's much appreciated to have somebody like Marissa who actually manages more of that side because that can be thrown into the technical director's realm. Here I get to do the more fun stuff. And coordinating what actually happens on stage and what the stage looks like for every single show. I I deal with mostly the tangible things. So I I like the way that it is described for most people is to describe props for somebody who doesn't know what we do. And you turn the set upside down. Everything that falls off is props. Well, everything that stays there, that's me. I deal with everything that is the foundation of the stage. I build the world for the people to to live in so that they can create these fantasies for everybody to come watch. I, I like to describe it as I build fake houses for fake people. It's everything from... The stage itself to the flooring that goes on top of that to the walls that are surrounding that to the things that are in the air masking that and hiding all of the guts of the theater so it looks pretty and the things that move move in and out of the space to be able to create new images and to build the Mm -hmm. flow of the play. Let's go back in time a little bit. If you could tell us about your history in working in theater. How did you start out? How did you get involved in theater in general? And how did that lead to here? Sure, I can jump in. So I... I've been at Arena. I'm now in my 10th year at Arena, somehow, some way. I started as a fellow at Arena forever ago. Started in the production office. So I was doing administrative work there um, and quickly transferred into doing production management. So it was shortly before we were moving into the Mead Center. And therefore, we quickly realized that we needed a lot more production management support. So at the time, we had a general slash production manager, um, and it was way too much for him to be able to do it once, so we split it between us. Um, And a few years into it, then I started production managing a lot of the main stage shows, eventually working up to like 75% of the main stage shows that I was production managing. Uh, And then more and more transition through uh, landed me to where I am now. So venturing into the general management route, where now I look after all of the artist contracts that come through Arena and then also look after the physical plant of the building 
as well, which is very similar to production, except it's not on stage. I uh, I guess I would add as well that what I was able to do because I kind of came up through Arena is I've done a lot of outside projects and still do outside projects that are a little bit more production centric. Mm-hmm. I've been the technical director for an ice sculpture exhibit over at Gaylord National Harbor. And then I've also done a couple of things for Turnaround Arts, which is a program of the Kennedy Center now. Um, And that was really more stage management centric, but a completely different path as well. So I look for those different things to help exercise my sawdust muscles. My story's a little longer. Um, So I started out in undergrad actually wanting to be an actor and very quickly got bored and they roped me into working in the scene shop, and I never left because sawdust is fun. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I started out in undergrad just working in the scene shop as an apprentice, and then I in, initially went into, um, transitioned into working for the Utah Shakespeare Festival as a carpenter and worked my way up to an ATD there. ATD is the assistant technical director. And then from there, I, I finished my undergrad, went to grad school, and I've worked at several other regional theaters across the country in various roles, but mostly in assistant technical direction, um, associate technical direction, and then came here for years ago? Yeah, four years ago mm-hmm. as the assistant technical director and was promoted to the technical director as the first woman, actually. The first woman technical director at a Regis stage. Mm-hmm. Just pretty rad. Did both of you know that you wanted to be in the arts when you were either growing up or when you were first starting out in college and your career? Did I always know? No. Definite no. I was definitely always interested in the arts and always did something in the arts, but it was always a pastime, a hobby. That other thing that I did, um, even once I went to undergrad, it remained that. But then midway through undergrad, it slowly became clear that, (laughs) well, one, I could actually make this a career. And two, I seem to be spending a lot more time doing that. And I have a lot of more fun doing that than I do in anything else. And I I hadn't declared a major um, until my sophomore year. So I've been finally declared a theater and communications major. I definitely didn't know that I wanted to go into production either. I just sort of always did everything. I was never really good at making up my mind to focus on one specific thing. I'm still not. Hence why I still have those random side projects that I that I do. Didn't know that I was going to be in production. Um, didn't know that I would pursue theater. But here I am. I mean, I did. I always knew I was going to do arts. <laughs> um, I'm... <laughs> I was I was I was the kid with the um, makeshift aluminum foil microphone performing in front of my relatives. Like I was kind of I was all over the place. I, I always thought I was going to go into the acting side of things. Um, I was always a very much a performer in everything I did. But growing up in a family where I had five brothers and one sister, it was a lot of a lot of those masculine traits were kind of instilled in me younger and. That like I want to be getting dirty and doing these things, so that those lines were always blurred for me mm-hmm. when I when I grew up because I just kind of fit in and just did whatever because this, this is what my brothers did and of course I can do it. And I wasn't totally recognized by my family until after I got into college and like my dad wouldn't let me touch his power tools. There's no way like that's scary. The moment that I told my dad that I was going to start building in the scene shop. He was, I was told him I was using the table saw, and he freaked out. I was like, watch your fingers. I'm really scared for you. <laughs> and, it, and then the next summer, I was home refinishing the basement for him, and he was like, she's better than all five of my sons. Like, I have five sons, and my youngest daughter is the one that picks up my trade, which is really funny. But, um, yeah, that's actually get a lot of my carpentry talents from my dad and surprise my whole family. But it's kind of always been where my path was going, but mm-hmm. due to 
kind of job security, I chose to be more backstage than on the stage, and it's turned out to be a better choice for me. Will you ever go back to the stage? On the I don't stage? know. I mean, I, I think I just get those bugs out by just doing karaoke every once in a while. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll call that, that good at this point, yeah. but I think that my days of playing the baker's wife and into the woods are over. Aww, <laughs> like, that role is so good. It's, that was that was the pivotal point in my career actually. When I was in when I was an undergrad, we put into the woods on and I auditioned for it. And I could have been the baker's wife or I could have been the technical director. And it was the first time they were offering that opportunity to a student to be a technical director for a main stage show. That wasn't an, a possibility before that. So it was a it was a big it was a big choice to make, and I chose mm-hmm. to be the technical director. And sitting oh through those gosh. tech rehearsals with somebody else singing those songs was the hardest thing I ever had to do. But I regret nothing. So we already kind of looked at your day to day and what your responsibilities are. How does that? How do you work together and and kind of like work with outside designers? Marissa and I don't interact a ton and mm-hmm. regular because. Her part of the job is way, way, way in advance from when I'm getting it. And if she's yeah. done her job, then my job will go smoothly. And if everything's going smoothly, we're just like, great, I don't need to talk to you. But, um, <laughs> great. but um, yeah, I can talk through sort of how the process really happens. So once a, a show is chosen um, and a director is hired for that show, then it's a conversation of what is that design team. So artistic, oh. the artistic team will really talk through what is that design team. The production manager gets involved as well. Uh, and then we'll hire those designers. That's where I come in. Um, But once everything is hired, and a part of that process is working out the schedule, as well as all other contractual details, so fee payments and uh, how many trips and when are the design meetings really going to be, um, all of those kinks worked out way in advance, hopefully several months in advance, so that we actually can get everything finished so it doesn't become an issue for Natalie later. So working through the hiring process, once everything is established then, it's really Joel, who is our director of production, takes over in terms of making sure that those deadlines are met. So there's going to be a lot of design deadlines that are out there. He's going to make sure that every designer is actually turning those things in when they should be turning them in and that Natalie and her counterparts have actually seen all of those things. So not just Natalie as the TD, but the head of props or sound technician, the costume shop manager, everybody has seen uh, everything that they need to see on time and then working through the process to make sure it all stays together. Yeah. So if that's all done, then I get to. I, I usually work with Marissa Joel to figure out what those deadlines need to be in order for me to get everything done on time. So there's in the process of working with designers, there's usually a preliminary deadline where they come in with their ideas, and hopefully before that point, all of the design meetings have been set up, and then the design meetings, and they get to chat with the director and the whole team and come up with their hopes and dreams and their ideas, and then it starts to solidify into more of a thing. Um, and when it becomes something more of a solid idea, then it turns into preliminary designs. Can I make this happen for this amount of money and this amount of time? And we go back and forth in negotiations until we get it settled on to what we call the final designs. Um, and then that gets distributed to the whole team, and we come up with a plan. And then I turn it into tangible plans, drawings, that both communicates to everybody else in the in the design process so that they all know where everything is going to go, how it's going to look. So there's ground plan views, which are the top views of what the floor is going to look like or what the, what the set's going to look like. And then there's section views and there's front views. Um, there's paint elevations that tell us what the finish is going to look like. And I make sure that all that stuff comes in and that it all clearly communicates to everybody um, in all of production how that's going to really look and make sure that, that everybody's questions are answered as we go along and that it's all feasible. Um, and then from there, we turn it into 
construction drawings. Um, and that's a, I have a team of two with me in my office, in the technical direction office, that we draw everything up in AutoCAD and turn it into drawings that the, the, the folks on the shop floor can read and actually build it. Um, and then we take care of making sure all the materials show up and all of those things so that everything is there and ready. Um, and then I have five folks who build everything according mm-hmm. to how we've drawn it, and hopefully we've done it right. So mm-hmm. every single space looks different for every single show. And for every step along the way, too, there's always challenges that happen, right, where we wanted to build something in one particular way, and that is not working for whatever reason, whether that's a design choice or something structurally that we've just figured out won't actually work. Uh, But there's decisions happening along the way and new challenges happening along the way that will affect the other departments as well. So it's not just uh, scenery looking as well, but something else may affect the props, the pieces that will fall off the stage when you turn them (laughs) upside down. Um, Or something may affect the costumes. Once Natalie receives paint elevations, that has a huge impact on the costume shop and the costume designs as well to make sure that there's not going to be something that's horribly clashing, that there's not two shades of blue that just look awful together or whatever. Um, Big holes in the stage so that high heels will fall through or pokey bits that will catch flowy dresses or or if we're putting an overhead above the fish handler stage making sure that when we do lifts during a production that we don't wham someone's head into an overhead for choreography and for lighting to make sure that they can actually get light through the things that we're putting in the space so a lot of detail to sort out um that's Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of information to contain and to communicate within the job, and it changes all the time. And how much of that are you usually able to kind of anticipate, or how much ends up sort of being adjusted once people are on stage? We try to. I mean, so the little the little disc things that get attached to the heels is a costume diner solution mm-hmm. to, I really want to have these spike heels in this show because they have the right look, but there's tracks. Yeah. So I'm limited to the amount that I can make certain things work within, so... Every time that we have a show that has tracking things in it, that's always going to be a thing. Um, and normally, um, it, it's depending on who the costume designer is and what their decision is on it. Some of them are totally fine with those little disc things, and some of them really hate them, so they'll go to a, a bigger heel. But all of those things are all details that get discussed at length long before the things go into the theater. Um, so the entire production team, we we meet every single week. And we talk about all these things and anything that would come up. And most of the time what I do is I bring all of the plans in and all the pictures of everything. And, and we sit it out on the table with everybody um, that's in charge of each department. Mm-hmm. And I just explain everything. And then they all point out the problems that they see. And we find solutions from there. And most of the time we do pretty well at catching things earlier or finding a solution for them. And which angle we want to attack those things from, um, especially with the team that we have here at Arena. Um, a really, really stellar production team that we're all, we all do a good job of working together. So it, when there are problems, it is not really a shutdown. Sometimes things like that happen, like when when you have issues with it, like turns out they don't make materials the same way that they used to mm-hmm. and the, the way that those things change. There's things that come up in the space, but I would say 90% of the time we're able to solve the majority of those before we even get to, most of the time, even rehearsals. Mm-hmm. And then throughout the rehearsal time, we solve a lot more of them and things change more and more rare that we have big things that have to alter once we get into the theater and ideally from my angle i put this i i the, the to the level that i try to plan everything for how it works here i i have to be able to move on to the next show in order mm. to keep up with everything that's coming in 
because it takes so much longer to process everything for scenery mm-hmm. than it does for some of the other departments. Um, so my job is generally done once it's loaded in. So that once they're rehearsing on stage, we have very little and unless there's a big emergency and we try to support and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other departments are more involved at that point. So it's a it's an interesting shift in the way that we all focus and how to keep us all working on the same page can be tricky. And that becomes most of my challenge is trying to keep people up to date on what's happening when they're also in a totally different show than I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was my thought is that you're probably in these production meetings for multiple shows at yes. the same time. I mean, <laughs> I mean, especially since... I mean, some of them are only a few weeks apart in opening. and Yes. And my, my biggest challenge with working in this position is that when we start a season, when, when, everybody, when, when everybody thinks we start a season versus when I start a season are mm-hmm. two different things. Oh, yeah. Um, and is it, this a busy time of the year for you? This is just... less busy right okay. now, but give me a couple weeks and it'll be insane because I start, mm-hmm. seeing, de- I start seeing designs for next season yeah. in a week. And I'm still finishing the last two shows of the season. So at any given time, I have up to six shows on my plate. Like Natalie said, she tries to really move on and move her team along uh, before opening even, or at least by opening of a production. But we're still running that production. So you never know when something is going to scratch the deck or scuff the deck and we need to repaint or would we just need to add a layer for maintenance so that it looks fresh or when something else breaks or if we have to modify something for some sort of actor injury or illness or something that happened. You just never know. Um, so we have to factor in the, the unknowns and the unpredictable. Which has happened. Like the last summer with Dave. Mm-hmm. The The... The walls, there was part of the walls that rolled mm-hmm. around on wheels. The um, They were so heavy by the time we filled them with all the lights that they were deteriorating the floor oh, wow. throughout the run. And the fact that you don't know is great. See, yeah. if I'm doing my job, yep. you don't know. Um, <laughs> so we, we ended up having to replace the, the rings that they rolled on mm-hmm. uh, pretty regularly. So about twice a week they would get shifted around. And wow. what we ended up having to do because the paint just wouldn't stick to the material that we could get to hold up is that we would take the the less pretty ones and we'd move them towards the upstage side away from the audience so as they would be covered most, most of the show and we'd have the pretty ones downstage and we would just cycle them around and then repaint them. So we had, I think, three different sets of these floor rings that would just cycle through the paint mm-hmm. shop and then go under the floor. That's the biggest reason why I like my job, actually. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's ever-changing. It's hard to get bored. Yeah, really trying to make uh, the impossible possible. Um my uh, most proud show, I think, and the the one that was really the most fun because it was the most challenging to work on back when I was production managing would be Metamorphoses when we put the big pool <laughs> in the fetch handler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was a challenge. How do you how do you suspend water, which is really, really heavy? over a stage that is just supported by steel stilts. It's not solid below the Fitch Handler stage so that we can actually do magic from underneath. So it was both a weight challenge, a humidity challenge, a temperature challenge, um, and a water itself challenge because once the, the pool itself is built, then you have to make sure that everything in the entire backstage area is waterproof and is safe mm-hmm. to run on um, when you have wet feet. 
and wet clothes sopping off of you and that you're not going to freeze when you step out and are completely wet in clothes that are not meant to be in water. Um, So that was a lot of careful calculating, careful conversations, um, learning a lot about the building at that point as well, because that was just a few years after we had moved into our new building. Um, so it was also figuring out, one, how do we fill the pool? And two, how do we drain the pool? More importantly. Wow. <laughs> so that was a conundrum because we needed to change out the water every couple of weeks to make sure that it was fresh. The, the rain yeah, effects for Indecent was, was probably one of my more brilliant, invisible water solutions. Mm-hmm. It was kind of fun. It was gorgeous. It still is. I said, still running. You come up with a crazy idea. You're mm-hmm. going to do this crazy, challenging show, but not only are you going to do it here, we want to put it in other, two other theaters. So I have to know my theater mm-hmm. and, and two other theaters and wow. figure it out for them if I'm the one that's building it for them, mm-hmm. which is the case for Indecent. And that is a massive undertaking. And that's the additional management side, too, where we just have to stay in touch to make sure that we're coordinating all the pieces with the other theaters before we even get to the hiring point for people, and then definitely after and every step of the way. Is there anything that about working in production that people might not think is part of your job, but then it is? <laughs> a lot. Every little thing uh, ends up being a conversation or being a a trickle effect. It can just have uh, an impact on another piece of the production or another piece of the process. So no detail is too small. That's where stage management becomes huge as well during the Mm -hmm. rehearsal process. Uh, So once we're in rehearsal, hopefully we're already well into build and a lot of things are already solved, but the stage manager is there on the ground knowing all of the designs that are already established and seeing what is happening in the rehearsal hall to be able to translate. And raise the red flag when something comes up in a rehearsal that is like, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's what we talked about, but or this could be challenging. Um, Mm -hmm. Those are the best stage managers. The ones that will be like, I need to talk to you about a thing. Is this possible? Mm-hmm. This is what the director... And being able to translate what the director is describing in the rehearsal hall so that we can continue doing our jobs on a day-to-day basis rather than sitting in the rehearsal hall with them. The goal is always to find a way to get to say yes and just removing mm-hmm. the obstacles to get there in whatever way that might be. Yeah. I think it, the audience and the, the production extension to the audience is also something to, to think through. The various production elements will have an effect on the audience and that is something that we have to keep in mind as well. So... Jumping back to water, a splash zone, and what does that actually mean? And when will audiences get wet and where will they get wet? And actually keeping track of that. Or if there's a a big drop-off somewhere that is on the deck and making sure that we're adding protective barriers. Um, Or in the case of kleptocracy recently, of working out what is the audience member, who is the audience member that actually has the watch that Putin can take from that audience member. That becomes something that extends into our world as well. We try to predict the problems and solve the problems before they're problems. Do you have a piece of advice for maybe a young person, a young woman, who is interested in going into production in the arts? That's a good question. Yeah, it is. Uh, Go for it and don't give up. I mean, believe in yourself. Make others believe in you. Forge your path. I'm, I'm hopeful that it's less of an industry surrounded by men in the in the more construction fields and management uh, within production, but it it definitely is still there. But not to even consider that a factor or let it persuade you in any way and to know that you are just as capable and can carry on. In that scene shop situation, um, I think most the majority of my career has been surrounded by men. 
Um, and it's um, something that I've not realized as much until I've got to this particular position because there's so much of my career that has actually felt like I have been, I have actually been through situations where I've been um, oppressed or told that I'm not good at things or ripped apart in a lot of ways or said that I'm not capable of doing things and um, didn't realize that all those things were happening to me until I got out of that situation. And like the last two years of me being the technical director here and me being the person in charge and the person capable and and empowered to make those decisions has completely flipped that view around for me and put me in a position where I didn't realize that I'd been pushing through all of those obstacles my whole life and that it's in a way, freeing, and in a lot of ways, I, I honestly just hope that I can be, you know, for the for those that work for me, I can be somebody that reacts to them the way that I wish I had been react to. And I'd say, one hundred percent, if it's a, if it's something you're interested in doing, be loud, and don't be afraid to ask questions, and don't be afraid to be you, and don't let anybody make you feel stupid. Because in in most of the in- industry, most of the things that I've ever done, like there isn't anything that is really stupid. There's mm-hmm. there's knowing and there's not knowing. And not knowing is not a bad thing. But pretending like you do know something is. Do everything you can to get other, all the experience that you want to get. If you're believing in an idea that you have and you believe you know a specific way to address a situation or fix a problem that is out there and you think it's great, share that. Even if someone doesn't agree with you right away and you still think it's the best idea, keep sharing it. You may need to share it more than once and convince people that you actually think it's a great idea unless they convince you otherwise. But until they convince you otherwise or have another idea, a better idea to present, yours is just as valid. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to talk. My name is Suzanne Beal. And I was the co-producing artistic director of Rep Stage from 2013 to 2017 uh, for four years. And I shared that role with Joseph Rich, who, when I retired, took the whole thing. We, you know, we were half and half. Yeah. Actually, actually, we ended up both working full-time for, even though it was half you know, halftime job. Yeah. Um, and this um, conference originated uh, very early in my tenure there. Hi, my name is Grace Nastasiavis, and I'm actually new to RepStage, not new to HCC. I'm the Community Engagement Coordinator. And I started in July. Before that, I was part of the theater program, and I've been at the college for over 15 years. So I'm very familiar with RepStage. And uh, RepStage is a theater, um, equity theater, in residence at Howard Community College. So it's really part of the college. And we're in our 26th season. So we're very excited to, you know, be hosting the fourth annual Women in Theaters. Just one other thing about RepStage. It is the only equity theater in residence at a community college in the country. Sometimes people think of RepStage as, well, is it it an academic theater or what? No, it's a professional theater like Studio or Woolly or or Only or any of the others. That's amazing. That's actually, I know we're going to talk about the conference, but um, uh, because it's it's on the college campus, 
and it is an equity theater. How does that? How do you guys incorporate like the students into production? Like, do, are they incorporated into productions, That's, or it is a fully professional? Yeah, theater? great question. Yeah. So we do have students. We actually have internships for students uh, right now. We have one for uh, ASM, mm-hmm. Assistant Stage Management Position. Mm-hmm. We have had students in our shows before. Suzanne directed. Um, American Hero American and Circle, Circle Mirror, Mirror Transformation, both of them, both both of them, of them had which had students, but we are an equity house, which means that primarily our actors are, of course, equity actors. Mm-hmm. But we use students as, as much as we can to give them that exp- that professional experience. So not only do they come to the college and get this amazing education, but they get to you know see how a professional theater works. You know, one of the things about the way we use students, we we are under no obligation to have students in our productions. It's not that, you know, oftentimes a university theater that will use equity actors will will also have a a theater program as a part of the of the theater. That's not the case with Rep Stage. When we use students, they have come through our normal audition process and, you know, we're just very pleased that they ended up being the best person for that particular role. So we're always it's always a celebration for us that that a student did actually make it through the audition process and uh, and we've had some wonderful performances by our uh, HCC theater students. Uh, so then moving into talking about the upcoming Women in Theater Conference, how did the conference start? And you said it's been going for four years. This will be this its fourth year. Right, right. So what was sort of the, where did it stem from? What made well, you guys say, this is what we need to do? Well, actually, this th- there's a story here. <laughs> <laughs> and that is that the first year that I attended the TDF conference with Joseph and our then managing director, Nancy Tarhart, in San Diego. When I was on the plane, I happened to sit next to a woman, Rosemary Sproul, and she was going to the conference, and she was a freelance, is a freelance director at the time, living in, in Baltimore. And we were talking about the fact that it is very difficult for women theater artists to connect with each other, that there wasn't any kind of regular outlet at that moment that everybody knew about. And so we said, well, when we get back to to town, let's see if there's some interest in figuring something out. So when we got back to town, Nancy and, and of course, Joseph supported it, and I contacted the people who were at the the Horowitz Center, which is the venue at Howard Community College. Uh, Grace was involved and uh, Janelle Broderick, and we said, just send a note to everybody you know that works in theater, all the women you know that work in theater, and see if there's any interest in doing something. And so we did that, and we ended up with like 25 or 30 people who showed up at an initial meeting to talk about, yes, there is a need here. But from (laughs) that, we decided that the first thing that we would do would be to hold a conference. And we did that for a reason. It sounds like, well, gee, that seems like a pretty ambitious thing to do before you know whether people are going to even want to you know, have a drink together. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it seemed like a really easy thing to do. And the Horowitz Center and um, the Dean of Arts and Sciences, who was the first artistic director of Rep Stage, Valerie Lash, was very supportive and said, you can can host it here. Um, We will do the registration process. So we had access to the whole infrastructure. And we put together a steering committee of people who were interested. 
And from that time until now, really, all the decisions about the conference were made by the women who showed up. So if you showed up for the meeting, you got a vote. If you didn't show up, you didn't get a vote. So <laughs> what, what evolved then was this conference that um, in the first year we had, what, 60 people? Yeah. yeah. And then the second year we had a few fewer than that, and we thought, well, um, you know, maybe... You know, maybe we'll give it a break. Maybe we won't. And then some people said, "No, let's let's rethink it. Let's we, we want to put some new things in it. Uh, uh, let's do it again. Let's see what happens." And then we it just kind of took off. We dub, over doubled that this last yeah, time. I think um, you know, uh, Howard Community College has this culture of excellence, and with it, Rep Stage has a culture of excellence, which basically means that we are constantly reevaluating ourselves and trying to do things better. And so with that in mind, after every conference, we would have a post-mortem and say, okay, what worked and what didn't? And every year the conference has changed in its structure. So the first two years we had it in January, um, and you know that really didn't, it didn't seem to work for people also. We had weather mm-hmm. issues, and then we moved it to August. And so when we moved it to August, it just blossomed. Last year we had over 130 um, participants. So, and we keep changing the structure a little bit. We, of course, send out a survey and get people's feedback afterwards, and we really listen mm-hmm. to what women practitioners and women identifying practitioners um, have to say about the conference and how we can make it better. So, this year it is going to be uh, different from last year, and we're going to have a speed connection. We're going to have um, you know, our expo is going to be more highlighted, and we're going to have a 10-minute playwriting contest, which will pick the winners beforehand, and those playwrights will get to, you know, present their work at the end of the conference. So we're constantly trying to really speak to everybody that has an opinion and listen. So it looks like this year there's a theme of the power of engagement. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you mean when you say engagement and how you think that plays a part in empowering these women to start leading? So the word engagement is very important to us because it really um, speaks to conversation. It doesn't Mm -hmm. just speak to us saying something and you listening. It speaks to, you know, us saying something and then hearing the response and adjusting And so we thought, you know, what a perfect word to go towards the conference this year. Additionally, the Horowitz Center has themes every year. And this year's theme uh, for FY20 is power. (laughs) And so we thought, how about that? (laughs) So we had it be the power of engagement and that kind of speaking to, you know, listening and responding and adjusting. And, you know, I don't use the word empowerment because that means that Mm -hmm. I give you permission to Mm -hmm. be powerful but you know being powerful yeah I'd like to just back up a little bit too in preference in preface to what I want to say about engagement and that has to do with the way the conference um, um, is developed and decisions are made as I said you know who shows up it's a very democratic process. Um, it, there, it isn't that there are a group of people who uh, are two or three people who are in leadership roles. The idea is that everybody 
has access to those skills and and has um, a role to play. And so actually uh, the, the leadership for the conference is really a steering committee of women who want to do that. And anybody who wants to do that can be a part of that and be a part of that conversation and those decisions. And I think that that's been something that is really important about this. I'm very grateful that, you know, that RepStage is still interested in and RepStage wants to host the conference. But it's not RepStage's conference. It's mm-hmm. the conference of the women who show up and want to be a part of it. So it's always about what they're engaged in. And I think that's the other connection with engagement. That is, we're engaged with each other. We are engaged with ideas. And we all have a responsibility to um, to uh, bring those ideas to the forefront and to promote our work and to promote each other and to help each other succeed. And that's really sort of what undergirds the whole conference. Um, and the thing that is, one of the things that is for me, the most exciting is the diversity of the people who attend. It is, it is a very, very much of a cross-section of women who work in the theater. There are students who attend. There are women who are just beginning their careers. There are women who have been you know, laboring in the vineyards for a long time. Um, and they're talking to each other, and there's a lot of cross-generational conversation and cross-disciplinary conversation. We've got lighting designers and directors and playwrights and, you know, ASMs and stage managers and managing directors. And And really, it's also, you know, we want to get women jobs. That's (laughs) exactly right. Let's get jobs. Exactly. Let's promote women, and so that's really, it's about self-promotion and... Um, you know, networking and saying, oh, hey, I'm still here. Like Suzanne said, those might be sometimes you feel siloed or isolated. And so you go and say, hey, I'm still lighting designing. So Mm. if uh, you guys are looking for, you know, Mm. a female identifying light designer, I'm here. (laughs) And that has happened. We've, we've, you know, we have heard from several people that they have gotten job opportunities, which is really like what we're trying to do is really promote you know. mm-hmm. That's the purpose of the expo, um, where you can, people can bring their, actors can bring their headshots. People can have their portfolios there, um, you know, that so that, you know, you can see the work that is being, that's being done. Do you find that um, most of the people who are attending are DC based? They're mostly regionally based mm-hmm. uh, between Baltimore and DC. One of the things, because of where Columbia is, one of the things that's really quite wonderful about it is that you get about an equal representation between Baltimore and DC, mm-hmm. with a smattering of people from the West and a couple of and a few people from Virginia. Mm-hmm. But uh, but the reach is is fairly broad. But it's people who are who are in this area, working in right. this area, and living yeah. in this general vicinity for the most part. It's great how each year, it sounds like the conference really changes to what the needs are, and um, I'm interested in, in here. I know you mentioned, uh, you know, the expo, the networking, um, and the playwriting festival. Is there any other aspect of this year's conference that's exciting or different that you'd want to share? What we're really excited about this year, and we went around the table uh, mm-hmm. to, to figure out what would be the best thing, um, is our speed connection. And so what this is, is kind of like speed dating. 
Mm-hmm. So we're going to have, we felt that, you know, last year, there just, even though we had specific time set up for networking, it just kept happening and people just wanted more. They mm-hmm. wanted to talk to mm-hmm. each other more. That was what they really wanted to do was connect. So we said, okay, well, what if we have that be part of the conference and have that facilitated? So what we're going to do is we're going to have a little do-si-do, chairs <laughs> on one side and the other side, and give everybody about three minutes, and that after that three minutes is up, they can have a conversation with their neighbor, and after that three minutes is up, they can have a conversation with their other neighbor. And so mm-hmm. what that'll do is hopefully not only get, you know, previous friends talking and mm-hmm. catching up but it'll also get other people because we what we noticed was that people that know each other kind of tended to stay with the people that they sure. know yeah. and we said you know we want other people we want them all to branch out and so we thought oh well if we if we make them have you know if you can talk to anyone for three minutes sure. right. <laughs> so yeah. you know by the time you're done saying your name and what you do and what was the previous project and your upcoming project, you're there. And so we thought, how wonderful would it be to have people not only talk to people that they know, but also get to meet a lot of new people that are at the conference? You know, I think also um, what people had talked about as part of another need is the idea of connecting people across disciplines. Mm-hmm. So so this is a way to do that. So you know mm-hmm. if you're a director and you're looking for a, a lighting designer or a, a set designer or a costumer or whatever, um, or mm-hmm. this is a, an opportunity. And we've created sessions that kind of force that a little bit in the mm-hmm. sense that our sessions are not discipline-specific, mm-hmm. the ones that we've had. Of, you know, I think in the past where we've had sessions around topics of interest, um, you know, like how do you have a career and find childcare and, you know, things mm. like that that, yeah. that are of concern to a, a lot of women uh, theater artists. Um, so this is another opportunity to get people across disciplines to talk to each other because you know, I think that's one of the issues for women theater artists to get in terms of getting work. I mean, we know no matter how much uh, work has been done and improvement, it's still a very male-dominated world. It's a very male-dominated world. And the only way that it's ever going to change is if women are talking to each other and mm-hmm. getting and helping each other get work. And we can't rely on, you know, a half a dozen people in very powerful positions. We've got to build this up uh, across smaller companies and individual artists. And mm-hmm. that's one of the purposes of this, of this conference is to facilitate that, um, that happening. But you know what? I've always, I was, say, I was saying to Grace when um, I think one of the questions had to do with you know, how did you come inter- become interested in this? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, I said, you know, my whole adult life I've been, I'm a, a second wave feminist from way back. <laughs> so, you know, uh, but, and my experience is that um, women work well together and want to help each other and are perfectly able to do that when those spaces are created that allow that to happen. And, uh, and we're trying to uh, facilitate making one of those spaces, and the women that have been, you know, with they, you know, they come and go depending on 
what's happening in their lives, and everybody is always welcome. Like, if you guys wanted to come to the next meeting, you would be welcome to come and have a voice. Absolutely. And so that's what I think is so important and powerful, is that at any point we welcome, we open our doors. Every time, you know, we get some sort of feedback, whether it be positive or negative, we're always like, would you like to come and <laughs> be part of this mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Grace, how many people are on that, uh, the big group? The big um, yeah. email group, about 25. About 20, between mm-hmm. 25 and 30. And there are only like about eight or nine people that show up for each of the meetings, mm-hmm. you know. So it, you know, and there's a core group. I mean, I, you know, obviously there's a core group that go and keep it going. You can't have, you know, different people showing up all the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people do, you know, do drop in and, and drop out of, of the decision-making pieces of mm-hmm. it. Yes, um, and our doors are always open, which mm-hmm. I think is the most important yeah. piece of it to to allow all the voices to be heard. Yeah. Yes. And like this this um, year, um, two playwrights, Pat Motley and and Susan Nidaw have taken and, and our lo- and the Lisa Wilde who is the dramaturg at Rep State have taken responsibility for redesigning the play uh, the one act play contest, the ten minute play contest, uh, we we initiated it last year, and people really liked it. But we had some glitches in terms mm-hmm. of just organizational things. So mm-hmm. okay, let's go back to square one and rethink it and do it a little differently um, this year. And um, what are those plays? Is there a guideline for for those plays? Yes, yes it's basically by women about women and for women. Great. And Elena. they should not, right, they, um, our one caveat is that they should not have been produced before. So mm-hmm. we really want pieces that are kind of raw and have not really been seen mm-hmm. before. It, they can be, have a staged reading or something like that, but not fully produced. So um, we still have, you know, there's, we're still taking submissions. Mm-hmm. And so when, when we're done with that, we'll, we'll read them and kind of, anonymously of course and we'll pick the five that are going to you know have their staged reading one of the other things that's really important about the conference is that it is really cheap and then starting june 1st is 25 dollars is the that's right and that was that was very key we didn't want it to be the case that that people couldn't go because they couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. So it, that's, that's a real important piece. And in order to do that, we've had some sponsorships. Okay. Um, right now we've got, we've had, UMBC has been a sponsor. Uh, Towson has sponsored, the Towson University has sponsored the keynote um, every year and will again. And Par Lights, the lighting company, uh, is sponsoring and underwriting the luncheon. So uh, basically um, the money covers... Uh, what's left of the luncheon and, and breakfast and reception um, that we have to pay for and and um, any other kinds of miscellaneous things. Towson pays for the keynote. So uh, that way everybody can come. Yeah, I think people tend to underestimate how valuable it is to just have some set-aside time to talk about the work that you do with other people who care about it, mm. to talk about those issues, to have a you know a nice lunch together, to listen to we've had wonderful keynote speakers, um, all local people. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had uh, Kayleen Jennings, um, Erica Rose, uh, Nan Barnett. Um, um, this year, yeah. 
from this show. Maria. Maria. Yeah. We have Maria Manuela Goyanes, yes, right? Yes. New producing mm-hmm. our district director yeah. yes. for the Woolly Mammoth. Right. Oh, exactly. Great. So we have the, a registration hour mm-hmm. where there's also a light breakfast. Mm-hmm. So people can kind of mingle and have a little something to eat. Mm-hmm. And then we do the keynote speaker. After that is the speed network session, mm-hmm. which we're, we're very excited about. And then we have the expo. We have some a lot of time for the expo so people can go around and really look at, you know, if, there, it, if, you're, not a, art, if you're an artistic director, you can go and say, oh, you know what, I'm looking for a female-identifying mm-hmm. lighting designer. Let me go here. Or a costume designer or director. And so they can go around and just, you know, grab several headshots if they want. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to have lunch, catered lunch. And then after that, we have the play readings. Nice. So, and we conclude with a little, you know, cookies and coffee. Yeah. And everybody usually and lingers. You know, <laughs> they, they just can't stop talking, which is wonderful, which is what we yeah. want. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's awesome. So it's a full day. So from 9, okay. uh, the conference starts at 10 to 4. What does it mean to be a woman in leadership? What does it mean to lead as a woman, as a female-identifying person, Um, in 2019 and how can we you know we also talk a lot about or recognize a lot of our artistic directors and the people who are in the very top levels of leadership but what does that mean or what do you think it might mean for someone who you know is just just living their life just working their work um, and how can they feel as though they are um, leading their department or leading the space that they inhabit. I think that leadership is kind of a way of thinking for me personally. You know, um, I don't know if you would say that at this point I have a leadership position the way that you're, you know, saying it, but I feel like I do. (laughs) Maybe people would disagree. (laughs) But, you know, I feel like... um, I try to lead by example and I try to think of others and think what, you know, what would work best for the whole group and not just feel siloed in myself. And I think that that's what works for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know that I would think any differently if I were a producing artistic director. You know, I feel Mm -hmm. like I would put others' needs, you know, and the organization's needs and think about all all that needs to happen and who I need to talk to and collaborate with and as we said before theater is such a collaborative art form that you can't really be siloed you know if Mm -hmm. you are you're probably not going to be very successful (laughs) you know so there's always collaborations and partnerships like this one today that's happening and uh, so I think that even you know that's what I tell my students like do, do you mm-hmm. <laughs> your leadership you know it's it's just you emanate what whatever it is that you believe in and your value system and you know does it matter that you are a box office attendant or an usher no because you know what to that patron that you sold them a ticket you are in a leadership position mm-hmm. they don't know that mm-hmm. you know and so I feel like we are all in our in our own right leaders of our own little, uh, our own worlds, because, yeah. you know, even the usher is so important. They hear so much from the audience's perspective that perhaps I don't get to hear. And so what an awesome experience it would be for me to, you know, go and talk to that usher and say, hey, what 
what what are people saying about this show? You know, mm-hmm. are they liking it? Do they want more snacks? What's going yeah. on? You know? yeah. And so at that point, that usher is in a leadership role, you know? So it's really the way that you think about leadership, I think, and yeah. kind of changing that narrative to not only say that, oh, well, you're a managing director, so you're in a leadership position, but I'm a box office attendant or a house manager or, you know, an associate, something in turn, mm-hmm. whatever you want to mm-hmm. plug into that, you know, and say, well, I'm not the leadership because you are. Because if mm-hmm. you don't do that set change, guess what happens? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the lights don't come up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I've always felt that was really important is one is to believe deeply in something, to be really passionate about something, and to be willing to articulate that passion and to be willing to to stand up for it and for people to recognize that there is that that level of of care and integrity and um, and meaning in what it is that you say and you stand for and I also think it's really important to be able to um, step back and listen to what other people have to say and to be able to reflect those values um, you know it's kind of like being a convener you know mm-hmm. and and hearing what it is that you care about and and how do those things connect so you know if you're passionate and you listen to other people and you facilitate um, promoting those values that's for me, that's what leadership is. And, and as Grace said, you can do it at all kinds of levels um, that ultimately it's never, ever, ever about you. Hmm. It's always about the, the work, the idea, the other people. Um, and, and people recognize that. Yeah. It's really funny. Um, and you need to do this, but it, I, I was, uh, I'm interested in this idea. I, ha- I interviewed for a job one time. It was not in theater. It was a, um, an academic job, and most of my career has been in a, an academic career. And I got a, a leadership question, what kind of a leader are you, mm-hmm. or whatever. And I talked about theater directing, and I thought that was a really good model. And I said, you know, as a, as a director, your job is to have a vision of the play, that you can articulate and collect a group of people together mm-hmm. and then to facilitate them by by being the best audience and then mm-hmm. getting the hell out of the way because you're not going to be on that stage. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to be on that. It's never going to be yours. And I, and I believe that about directing and I really believe that about leadership. So the way you can register is the easiest way is online at... Uh, repstage.org we have a link that um, women in theater conference or you know if you're awesome you can type it all in repstage.org slash women in theater so it'll take you right there Um, you know you can also call the repstage box office but I think online well I'll have our phones now I can boop 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 (laughs) yep so it's Saturday August 24th cool thank you both so much thank you it was great